0: Have you found strength in Jesus today? If you haven't yet, the day's not over. (laughs) The Sabbath is uh, set aside from eternity past. I believe God uh, just really knew what He was doing when He set up the heavens and the earth, when He created you and I, when He created humanity, He understood that we needed to find our strength in Him. Even before sin, even before sin, all our strength was found in Him. And so, Happy Sabbath! <laughs> um, as you know, it's, uh, it is a pretty special Sabbath, at least um, from my shoes. Um, <laughs> it's a humbling Sabbath. Uh, I've got lots of family here and friends. Um, my eighth grade teacher... Um, <laughs> We've been on a journey here um, at the Parkwood Church, asking for the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Has the Holy Spirit been working in your lives? <laughs> this is just the beginning. Um, what I want to do right now is just, to, before we open up the Bible, just to spend some time in silent prayer. Um, God wants to do something. There's a verse in the scripture in Matthew 24, verse... If I can just talk without a tremble. (laughs) There's a verse in Matthew 24, verse 14. That my eighth grade teacher made me a fan of. (laughs) Let's just turn in our Bibles. Let's go there right now. (laughs) Matthew 24, verse 14. First book of the New Testament. I'll just pretend like I'm a preacher or something. Okay, here we go. Matthew 24, verse 14. Is everybody there? If you are, say amen. All right. It's not even four o'clock yet. Oh, man. Matthew 24, verse 14. The Bible says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness. As a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. I'm looking forward to a homecoming soon. But there's a work to be done. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness. HMS Richards Sr., he was kind of a pioneer in ministry back in the day. Early 20th century seems so long ago, but not. He was asked one day, he was asked, when is the work going to be finished? Probably having in mind this, this verse. When is the work going to be finished? His response was, When the preachers are locked up. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? HMS Richards understood that there is a dilemma. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, but apparently that mission has been hired out. Do you understand what HMS was talking about? When the preachers are locked up, then the people will preach. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, there is a work of ministry that needs to be restored. And right now, we long to know how you're calling us and how you're equipping us. If there's a problem The problems in our own laps. And we pray that your word would come forth with power because your vessel is very weak today. And so we just ask that as you've done in the past, you would send your Holy Spirit of truth to guide us into all truth. And that this word on paper would become the word of life. That the living word who is the way, the truth, and the life would speak straight to our hearts. Amen. Call us, equip us, and put your spirit in us to respond accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' saving name, let the family say. Amen. 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 When the preachers are all locked up, <clears throat> why am I being ordained today? <laughs> no. Here's here's what we're going The study today is called Restoring the Work of Ministry. Restoring the Work of Ministry. There's a work that has been lost, and it's time to recover it. Do you hear what I'm saying today? There's the work that has been lost, and it's time to restore it. And as I understand scripture, the only power that can possibly recover something that is lost, the only power that can possibly restore something that is lost, is the grace of Jesus Christ. So go with me to the book that speaks of grace left and right, Ephesians. Can we go to Ephesians today? And we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, just as a launching point into our study, because we want to zero in on Ephesians chapter 4. You have paper in your bulletins, maybe you can go ahead and start taking notes right now, restoring the work of ministry, and we're starting with Ephesians chapter 2, because it's only by God's grace that we can experience restoration. So, when you found Ephesians, it's a little letter in the New Testament. After the Corinthians, you've got Galatians, then Ephesians. When you found it, say, I found it. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 8. One of those memory verses. If it's not a memory verse yet, it ought to be. Starting in verse 8, reading through verse 10, the Bible says, and I'm reading from the New King James, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen. You've been saved by grace, through faith, and the rest. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Never something we grunt our way through. It's something we are given. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And here's the crescendo of Paul's thought on grace. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. So here Paul's diverting our attention from our works, And he's pointing to God's work. You see that? God's work of grace, and we obtain that through faith, for we are his workmanship. I love it. Workmanship, it's it's a work of art. Chiseled. Woven. Perfectly knit together. For we are his workmanship created. Paul's taking us back to Genesis chapter 1. We are recreated in the image of God. Created in Christ for what? For good works. So we are God's work created for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you understand how God's grace wants to restore us to the work of ministry? This is just a prelude. God wants to create in us such a work of art that is unique that is finely tuned and knit together by grace. So let's read about it. How does this grace play itself out in our lives? Skip over to chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, Paul, after having gone through chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's highlighted grace and all that it does. He's highlighted the theology, and now he's getting to the practical element. So in chapter 4, he's nailing it down. And we started this last Sabbath. If you were here last Sabbath, or if you weren't here last Sabbath, we can pick up a recording. But last Sabbath, we started looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and we saw that surely, in verse 7, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, but to each one, how many? To each one, nobody's left out of this picture, but to each one of us, what was given? Grace Grace was given, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that's not some dinky one cup measuring spoon. That's the measure of Christ's gift of infinite salvation. Christ's gift of the Holy Spirit that is infinite beyond measure. That's the kind of grace that's been given to you and me. It doesn't have a lid on it. Now what's interesting as we noted last Sabbath that this grace is not just saving grace. It's also serving grace. Because here in this context, he's not talking about the gift of being saved, passing from death to life. He's actually talking about the gift that is used through us to cause others to pass from death to life. He's talking about spiritual gifts. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave what? He gave gifts to men. This, by the way, was the common practice of kings who had conquered or generals who had conquered some, some area over here. On their return, they would pour out the loot. <laughs> they would shower blessings upon those who were waiting at the hometown to receive that general, to receive that king. And Jesus as he ascended on high, he's pouring out spiritual gifts, which means anytime you and I actively exercise your gift and mine, we are proclaiming that Jesus sits on the throne. Amen. Woo! <laughs> no shame in that, praise God. All right. So here we are. We're picking. This is all review. This is all review from last Sabbath. But we're now going to pick up in verse eleven. So each one has given us, or each one has been given this gift. But notice how Paul turns the corner in verse eleven, and he himself, that's speaking of Jesus, and he's getting very emphatic. He himself gave. Okay, I want us to stop right there. We're just going to go at a snail's pace this morning. Study these three verses, and uh, and then maybe come out with some some conclusions and lists on your notes. But here we are, verse 11. He himself gave, okay, so Jesus himself, what these gifts are, it's of divine origin, not of human origin, okay? It's grace, not grunt. It's been provided, not purchased. Are we following today? Yes or no? All right. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, we noted last Sabbath that when we look at this list of gifts, it seems like Paul is zeroing in on those that we might say are the forefront gifts. Do You understand what I mean? The gifts of leadership, the gifts that we might, nece- uh, might commonly associate with those that we call, quote-unquote, ministers. Amen. So what's going on here? Why is it that in verse 7 he says, each one has been given gifts, but so many of us, when we look at the, the list in verse 11... We don't see ourselves there. But, but I thought everybody was given a gift. Now, here's what Paul is doing. Here's what Paul is doing. He's answering a question. He's answering a question. He's saying, okay, people are hearing, okay, everybody's been given a gift, so then everybody's a minister. If everybody's a minister, why do we need ministers? You hear it? Okay, okay. And I'm using the term kind of uh, two-facedly. You hear what I'm saying? So if everybody's a minister, and we talked about that term last Sabbath, to minister is to serve. To minister, diakonis, it's made up of two words, diakonis, which means to go through the dust. It means to go on an errand in such a fashion that you kick, kick up a cloud of dust behind you. Okay, You're getting dirty in service. So if everybody's been given a gift to minister, why do we have ministers? And here Paul is answering the question. So he did. Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, and he's telling you for what purpose? Two purposes, verse 12, write them down if you want. The first one is for the equipping, for the equipping. Now what in the world is equipping (laughs) me? The word, when you take a look at it in Greek, it's actually uh, used in other places in the New Testament scripture. The verb, I should say. The verb is used in other places in the New Testament scripture, like in Matthew chapter 4 or in Mark chapter 1, when it's describing when Jesus walks up to the Sea of Galilee and he finds fishermen who are mending their nets. Same word. Equipping is to mend. Equipping is to put things back together. Equipping is to find one loose piece here, another loose piece here, and to put them where they belong. So here's the picture. Paul is saying that these leadership gifts have been given for first purpose, to put things in their proper place, to match things, if you will. So for the equipping, uh, what what kind of mending is taking place? What what is it specifically that leadership is to mend together? What are they putting together? In verse 12 it says, for the equipping of the who? Of the saints. Who are saints, by the way? Us, right? Now you and I may not necessarily wear a nameplate over our faces that say, I am a saint, okay? Saint simply means, literally speaking, it's one who is set apart, For a special purpose. That's it. It's a holy one. That's that's what holiness means, by the way. It's set-apartness or separateness. Okay? So you and I are saints by the grace of God. Okay? We have been set apart from sin. We have been set apart for His purpose. And so when we're looking at the leadership roles in the church, when we're looking at those that we quote-unquote call ministers, They are given those gifts for one purpose. The first purpose is to mend. Mend what? Mend the saints. Putting saints, putting people in their proper fit. Finding where where they have their niche. And so the rest of the verse, for the equipping of the saints for the work of what? For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now this is, This is where we uh, might get kind of slow when it comes to Paul's letters. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. You're reading through Paul's letters, and you're like, where does this sentence stop? Does anybody ever get there? Okay, yeah. And uh, I don't have a good answer for you. (laughs) But here's what we want to understand about Paul's thought. He's telling us why leadership gifts exist. He's telling us, okay, leadership gifts exist in order for people to be mended to their proper fit. For the work of ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. And so it's for service. We talked about that word already. It's for service. It's to put others needs in front of our own. And that last phrase where it says edifying edifying, does that what picture does that conjure up in your hearts and minds? When you hear the word edification, or what, what do you understand it to mean? Anybody? Say, did someone say feeding? Okay. What are their ideas? Buildings, yeah. Have you ever heard of an edifice? Yeah, okay, that's what we're actually talking, to edify is to build. So check this out. Saints are being put in their proper place for ministry and for edifying. Edifying what? According to verse 12, edifying what? Edifying the body of Christ. Wait, 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 wait. You mean saints are supposed to be building themselves up? I thought that was the pastor's job. (laughs) Do, Do you see where Paul is going? He's saying that the care of the membership rests upon the membership. Because to each one, grace has been given. And so what role then do ministers play? It's to make sure that everybody finds their proper fit So that each can serve and equip—I mean, excuse me—serve and edify, minister and build up. This is powerful. Really simple. We can close the book right here and go. There's more. There's more. So let's start from the very beginning of the sentence and just kind of catch our way through. In verse 11. In verse 11, he says, "And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers." For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So far, so good. Now in verse 13, he's going to give us a picture of two, let's call them two destinations. If saints are really being put in their proper place, if saints are really doing the work of ministry and building each other up, then where is this going to lead? Okay, two destinations, right in verse 13, and let's write them down, till we all come to the number one, unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity. It's a powerful word, oneness. I want us to see something, because it says it's specifically unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. If you chew on this, this is actually really deep. I'm not sure I've really plumbed the depths of this. But when I read this, I understand that sometimes it feels like faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Um, it brings about a certain sense of unity just because, oh, I think like them, they think like me. Okay? But this isn't the kind of unity that Paul is just talking about. He's not talking about affiliation by association. Actually de- he's actually describing a team. A team. And I like that word team because teams are often built to do something. Okay? So it's not just, uh, you know, a Facebook group that says, yeah, I, I walk here, I walk there. You walk too? Oh, great. You know, it's not like that. It's not just affiliation. It's actually a unity based on action. And that action is the work of ministry. It's, it's the building up. So when we're actually put in place... And we're actually taking care of one another, when we're actually doing the works of service that God created us to do, when we're doing this, teamness is the result. That's one of the destinations unity. Unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is big, because unity doesn't happen just by believing the same thing, unity happens as we care for one another. The reason why this is so is because oftentimes when we we settle for a unity that is just intellectual and we're not actually caring for each other's needs, it's easy. Man, how should I put this? (laughs) When we're not investing our time in caring for each other's needs, when we're not investing our time in supporting each other's weaknesses. We have more time to criticize each other's needs, and to fault each other for our weaknesses. Um, during my days at Pacific Union College, PUC, you know, I, I like team sports, I really do. I like being active in things, and one of my favorite sports uh, to play with as a team, just for its team dynamic, is volleyball. I don't know how many of you actually enjoy playing volleyball. But, uh, you know, when you're playing a, a full-court volleyball game, you've got six people on each side, and your whole objective is to try to get the ball to land on the other net, right, or uh, on the other side of the net, and not in your own. And you're six people on your team. You're working together, kind of like one flowing organism here, okay? You've got a bump, set, spike, right? And for those of you who play volleyball, man, it is so satisfying. <laughs> it is so satisfying someone's thinking, it's so satisfying to spike the No. <laughs> For me, I found the greatest satisfaction in just setting someone up so perfectly that they could effortlessly slam that thing down, okay? Now when I got to PUC, uh, there were much bigger guys able to do that. (laughs) So I settled for the support roles. (laughs) Uh, Actually, there was a setter that was much more capable. He played for the Junior Olympics and I, I just, okay, yeah, you do your thing. And so I settled for the back row. Let me just get that ball to you, okay? Anyways, but here's the thing. Uh, there was this one game. We visited Sonoma State. There was this one game where we just were not clicking on all cylinders. And I was on the court. There were about, okay, so there were six on the court. There were about four or so on the sidelines. And I I was trying to receive these serves that, you know, there's coming, like I mean, like knuckleballs, curveballs, I don't know. And we were all trying to get this, but we just could not get the ball over. It was really frustrating. In fact, it got so heated that the sidelines turned from cheering us on to just, what are you doing? Get over here. And here's what I call sideline sabotage. Because it's so much easier to criticize when you're on the sidelines. When we're not actively engaged in the work that is to be accomplished, we use our time and energy to criticize what's not being accomplished. That's why unity of the faith happens only as we engage in the work of ministry. Only as we're building each other up. Unity isn't just, I believe this and you believe that. We're on the same team. No. Unity happens as we minister. Unity happens as we minister. So, as we're properly fit, doing our, our ministry as we're properly fit, equipping, excuse me, edifying the members. Then we arrive at unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And here's the second destination. So verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, or maybe your Bible says, complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Woo! That's just flowery language of saying that as you minister, as you edify, yes, you'll arrive at unity, and even more so you'll arrive at Christ-likeness. Amen. Wow. And when Paul is talking about arriving at Christ-likeness, he's not, he doesn't have in view the me of Christ-likeness, he has the we of Christ-likeness. We as a community, when we're really serving, we're going to reflect Jesus. This is beautiful. So Christlikeness and unity, these are the destinations. This is what happens when we do the work of ministry and edify the body of Christ. I want to go there, amen? Amen. (laughs) And then verses 14, 15, and 16 further describes the components of what, what really contributes to unity, what contributes to Christ's likeness. So in verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Okay, so he's saying, look, you're not just for the sake of unity. You're not just going to naively accept a form of relativism. Just because we want to be united doesn't mean we, we settle and compromise the things that we know to be true. When Jesus prayed in John 17... When he prayed that they might be one as I and the Father are one, he also prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Do you know that sanctify means to separate? So yes, let's unite together, but it unites only as we're set apart by the word of God. Okay. So it's it's not a green light for relativism. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth, there it is, speaking the truth in love. You want to know what makes for unity in likeness? It's when we're able to communicate openly, honestly, truthfully in love amen. (laughs) Later on in this chapter, uh, I think it's verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. There are times where you and I might be on a team, and you and I might feel like someone else needs to be edified through our words. (laughs) Question first, is it in love, and is it necessary edification? Do you catch the qualifier there? There's a difference. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're following. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, that is Christ. I like that word, may grow up, because unity and Christ likeness, these destinations that we're moving to, that's a process, friends. It doesn't happen over. It doesn't happen overnight. Doesn't happen in a day, but it happens day by day. Okay. In verse 16 just kind of capping off what this unity in Christ-likeness looks like, from whom the whole body, speaking of uh, f- sourced in Jesus, okay, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which just a few parts do its share. Okay, let's read that again. All right, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. That's the experience along for God's people and for Parkwood Church. Amen? Amen. And so, this is the kind of the, the study aspect of it. And last week, we started something. We started making a list of our theology of ministry, Okay our theology of ministry. And maybe if you've got paper, let's start writing this one down. If you haven't started writing yet, maybe you lost uh, exactly what we're supposed to be writing down. Let's just do this. Let's build a six-point list of our theology of ministry. Last week, we covered three. This week, we're going to cover a new three. So let's review last week's. Last week, we we discovered three foundational principles for how we understand ministry, how we approach ministry. The first one is this. This ministry is for everyone. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Ministry is for everyone. Why? Why? Well, because grace is for everyone. And if saving grace is what it is, it turns into serving grace as well. Okay? And that's why Paul uses this idea of to each one of us, a gift has been given. Think about that. Gift. Gift. It's grace. Okay? So if grace is for everyone, ministry is for everyone. Ministry is not for the talented (laughs) men. It's for the converted. Praise God. Which means something, by the way, before we move on to the second thing. If there are times in our lives and our experience we actually are resisting ministry, could it be that we're actually resisting grace? If you ever find it hard for you to serve, ask if you've been given. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, when he sent out the the 12 disciples, he said, freely you have received, therefore freely give. So if you're ever finding it hard to pour out your life to someone else, take time to assess, have I allowed Jesus to pour his life to me? So if we're ever resisting ministry, maybe it's because we're either uh, a stranger of grace during that season, or we're actually resisting it. Okay, so here we are. List number one, or the first point, ministry is number one. Foundational principle, ministry is for everyone. Second, ministry means to serve. Ministry means to serve. That is, putting others' needs above my own. Putting others' needs above my own. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Amen. Amen. So ministry is for everyone. Ministry means to serve. And the goal, this is number three, the goal of ministry is to become like Jesus. If Jesus himself served, and I am filling those shoes, then I am becoming like Jesus. And that's what Paul hits on here. You know, as we minister, as we edify, we're going to arrive at unity, and we're going to arrive at the full measure of who Christ is. So as we minister and as we serve, we are becoming like Jesus. Okay, so those are the first three. We talked about that last Sabbath. Here's the new set of three. You ready? So number four on your list is this. It's essentially related to number three. It's just put the other way around. To become like Jesus, I must find my fit in service. I'll say it again. To become like Jesus, I must find my fit in service. In service. Do you see the truth of this? If it's through ministry that we become like Jesus, then to become like Jesus, I must minister. <laughs> Which means that if I'm not ministering, I'm not growing to become like Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, we started meeting with our ministry placement team, right? a.k.a. Nominating Committee, okay? And I shared this with them. There's just this this idea that when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and he's talking about the work of ministry and he heads towards, as we serve, as we minister, we actually become like Jesus, then when we're calling people to serve, we're calling people to do the most important thing they could possibly do with their lives. There is no shame. In asking someone to serve. Do you follow this today? Yes or no? I'm really paving the way for the nominating committee to throw out a report. No, anyway, but I want us to understand this. I want us to understand this. When we- <laughs> okay. I really want us to understand this. Because for a long time, I have felt hesitant to ask people to join me on a Bible study, to come with me for a visit because I don't want to feel like I'm imposing on their time, but as I put these things together, I thought to myself, why would I feel like I'm imposing if I'm giving them a chance to become like Jesus? Yeah. Hey, oh, I love to hear it. Amen. Okay, <laughs> so here we are to be like Jesus. We individually must find our fit in ministry. That's number four. Okay, here we go. Hey. All right, number five. Here we go. My fit in ministry is designed by God himself. This is big. Did you remember in verse 11 of chapter 4? Those first four words, and he himself gave. In other words, Jesus is the one that gave the gifts. Jesus is the one that distributed the gifts. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when you read the, the spiritual gifts chapter there, it says that the spirit distributes the gifts as he will, as he wills, excuse me. And then later on in the chapter, it looks like God the Father himself is doing it. So you've got the, the whole Trinity. They're scheming about how to gift you and I for ministry. They've crea- we are his workmanship, remember? We are his workmanship created for these good works. And the implication of this if, if my fit in ministry is by God's design, guess whose design it's not by? <laughs> not mine. Or yours, not mine, or the nominating committees. That's right. Amen. So, ministry placement team, the nominating committee—they're they're entrusted with the responsibility of prayerfully seeking God's will. Okay. Now, the nominating committee doesn't give the just. Maybe I should clarify this, and I'll stop talking about the nominating Okay, <laughs> I'll clarify this. Ministry placement team, nominating committee, they're, they're not intended to be a gatekeeper for ministry. In other words, you don't need permission from a committee to serve. Let me say it like this. God is the one who gives authority. Other people, we can look to them for accountability. Accountability. That's how I'm sorting it through in my mind. And this is, this is on my mind because I'm thinking about, you know, what's going to take place this afternoon, the ordination service. And I realize that authority isn't being given me because someone's laying their hand on me. Authority has been given me to serve because of God. Yeah. And when people come into the picture, they're not giving authority, they're giving accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Now, two weeks later from now, I might rethink what I just said. <laughs> But that's how I understand the scriptures to, to be. When, when the church in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, they were praying and fasting. The leadership was praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, I have set apart Paul and Barnabas. Go send them out as missionaries. And so they laid their hands on them, and they sent them out. The Holy Spirit gave that authority. The people gave the accountability. We can dialogue back and forth about this later on, but that's just where I'm at right now. Just... There's a mirror into my heart. Okay, here we go. So we've got our list. We've got five. One more to go. So four, number four was to become like Jesus and I must find my fit in ministry. Number five, my fit in ministry is designed by God himself. And maybe you want to put God alone. Amen. Number six, the role of, and you can put quotations, ministers, okay? The role of ministers is to equip people for ministry. Alright, that's number six. The role of ministers is to equip people for ministry. In other words, the role of an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, teacher, the role of these leadership gifts is not just to do all the service, but to help people find their fit in the big picture of service this is good. The pastor doesn't do all the caring, all the edifying, all the visiting, all, you know, all the building up of lives. The saints are to be equipped and mended, right? The saints are to be put in their proper fit. And you all know, you all know that because of our uniqueness, because of our unique shape, we don't all fit in the same place in this body. Amen? And so it's like sometimes maybe you've had this experience. You're like a a round peg in a square hole, or maybe it's the other way around, a square peg in a round hole. You're looking for a fit. That's why part of our vision statement, if you open up your bulletins, uh, that third page there, right above the order of service, it says, the vision of the Parkwood Church. Our vision is to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved, thoroughly equipped, and unjoyfully involved. No, right? (laughs) Thoroughly equipped and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. Sometimes I find that we're ministering, we're serving out of drudgery and duty, maybe because we fit somewhere else. Okay, so the role of ministers is to find the fit. Equip. It's to mend. You know, someone once asked the question to a group of pastors... The question was asked, is the pastor's prayer more holy than the member's prayer? <laughs> and I actually heard a mixed response from the group of them. Is the pastor's prayer more holy than, than the member's prayer? And uh, the answer, of course, to that is no. Maybe I should qualify this. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 17, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. See me the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Now righteousness does not come with a position. Amen. Righteousness comes by faith in Christ alone. And so, by virtue of being a pastor does not make my prayer any better than your prayer. Amen. 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 And so, in the same way, my visitation to a member does not make my visitation so much more powerful than another member's visitation to a member. Just by virtue of my title or office. Are we following this? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. And here's the point. That if we're looking to build each other up, and if we're only looking to a handful of people to do it, we're never going to be built up. (laughs) Every part jointly fit, doing its share. I want to look again at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. There's actually a lot of depth there. According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so, you know, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, you know, The ordination service is a very humbling thing. Because when I understand it to be, is I've been given a responsibility to give you responsibility. (laughs) I was told long ago that your job as a pastor is to work yourself out of a job. And as I understand it, um, this is what the Bible teaches. The story is told of, of someone who owned a mill And he hired a certain supervisor, a foreman, to kind of supervise things on this end of his property. And uh, one day he was walking, the owner himself was walking through his property. He found himself upon a, a hole, a water hole, and something was malfunctioning there in the ground. When he looked, he found the foreman, he found the supervisor, working on this simple problem while six other men were standing above the hole watching him. The owner goes back to his office next day. <laughs> next day he he has spent the day kind of investigating the facts, trying to figure out what the situation was and you know why why it was that he found that situation the way it was. He calls in the foreman. He calls in the supervisor, gives him his full pay, and asks him to, to leave. He fires. The foreman says, What did I do? And you know, I was doing I was doing work. <laughs> the owner says, I hired you to keep six other men working. So here I was paying seven people's wages, while only one person was doing the work. You understand the illustration here? And so I'm, I'm personally trying to understand my own role as a pastor. And thank you for your patience with me as a church. But I want us to be on the same team, okay, and understand that each one has its own part. And I I personally want to confess to you that it is my desire not just to do ministry, but to equip people for ministry. Now, if I'm slow to do that, then keep me accountable, please. Okay? If I'm slow to give you a call, then just, you know, dog my cell phone a little bit more. No, kidding. <clears throat> Here's the point. We're on the same team. Every joint knit together, fully functioning for God's, des- for God's kingdom. And this is where we're headed. I want to arrive at those destinations of unity, and of Christ's likeness. And so, what I want us to do just now, you've got your Connect card. Um, Go ahead and pull out that Connect card right now. And maybe you don't have a Connect card, and if you don't, I'll I'll call upon my deacons here to help me out, or Ron, do you have the the stack of, all right, Doug, go ahead, stand up, and if you don't have a Connect card, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, we'll make sure that gets distributed. Doug might need some help. All right. Go, keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised if you need one of these connect cards. Okay. Some here in the front too. All right. Let's get it out. And this is just your chance to respond. And the connect card is really, yeah, it's for me. It's for our church to understand who's here, to connect with one another. But it's also just a tangible (coughs) instrument through which you can respond to God's will. All right, let's make sure quickly. Is anybody else still waiting for a Connect card? Go ahead and raise your hand. Right here on the aisle. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, right here up front. Actually, I'm (laughs) at Sorry. Can we get another one down here in the front? Another one down here. All right. So you filled out the front hopefully by now with your personal information or as much as you're willing to give anyway. And um, right here. No. Okay. <clears throat> On the back side, there's a box that says my take-home challenge, and that's what I want to point your attention to right now. It says my take-home challenge. The first one is simply this. I will pray each day this week about how God wants me to serve. If ministry really is by God's design alone, not your own, not anyone else's, then we need to seek God's will about this. Amen? So if it's your commitment, you say, yeah, okay, I'll take every day this week and pray about how God wants me to serve. What's my fit? What's my fit in ministry? Second box, I will pray each, de- each day this week with someone else about how God wants me to serve. Maybe you know yourself that you need a little bit of personal accountability to make sure that, that you're praying together about this. Maybe you can pray for each other about this. So go ahead and check that box if that's for you. And the third, maybe you already feel so convicted, so called to do this or to do that, and that third box is for you. Even now, I sense God calling me to serve by, go ahead and fill in the blank. Go ahead and fill in the blank right there. Now, what's great about this is that as I've gotten to know this church family, I have seen individuals serving. I have seen individuals in positions that are so right for them. (laughs) And I I love it. It brings joy to the heart of God. I want you to know that when you are serving like that, when you can serve full throttle and feel no burnout because you just find so much joy in that, that's a beautiful thing. And so I praise God for that. If you're in that situation right now, praise the Lord, okay? And maybe you would modify one of these checkboxes and say, I will pray each day this week to ask how I can invite others to serve alongside with me. And experience that same joy too. Okay? So go ahead, take your time, and respond here in the, right, in the box to the right. It says, I am interested in, maybe you are interested in one of these, being baptized. You, you realize, look, I've been a receiver of grace, but now I want to be a servant of grace, and so I want to give myself wholly to God and symbolize that through baptism. Maybe that's you. You want to be baptized. Maybe you want to become a church member here. If you're interested in receiving Bible studies, go ahead and check that. And again, serving in a ministry such as, and that's essentially what was the third check on the left side. Go ahead and take your time to fill this in. What I want to do is, as we close with prayer, I just want to bow our heads in a few moments of silent prayer. Silently taking up this challenge right now. Praying, God, how do you want me to serve? Where is my fit in ministry? So here's what we'll do. I'll start with an opening, just kind of opening line, and I'll leave it for a time of silent prayer and then I'll close it out, okay? So let's pray together. Father, right now, we just want to hear from you. Please understand our hearts and cause us to pray according to your will. Please hear the desires, the cries of our hearts as we're seeking you in prayer in the next few moments of silent prayer. Father, we thank you that you've promised in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And you wouldn't hold back from us when we do. And so God, we want to know what your will is. We want to know how we fit. And Lord, we're praying for each other that you would cause our brother and sister next to us, our neighbor here, our neighbor there, that you would fill them with the knowledge of your will. Lord, we long for the day in which the work of ministry would be recovered. The work of ministry would be restored. And I thank you for the ways in which that is being realized in this church family. God, we pray for more. We pray for more of an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray for more of a personal experience of grace. And as we freely receive, Lord, may we freely give. Thank you, God, for the ways that you are going to inspire. Thank you, God, for the ways that you are going to instruct next week and in the weeks to come as we talk even more about how we can find our specific fit, our creative fit, then, Lord, may we we experience the reality that we are your workmanship. And so day by day as we seek you in prayer, we give you permission to, to mold and to shape, even to break down and then build back up. Lord, please do your artistic work of making us who you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, amen. 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 All right. What you can do with your cards is um, there will be deacons at the doors here, and I'll be also be standing at the door. You can hand them to our deacons or to myself. Happy Sabbath, friends. God bless.